Today's call to worship is a responsive reading, and you can find it in your hymnal at uh, 753. It's called God's Word. Um, I will be reading alone, and Grant will be reading the bold print along with you. How can a youth remain pure? By behaving as your word prescribes? I have sought you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commandments. I have treasured your promises in my heart, since I have no wish to sin against you. How blessed are you, Yahweh. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have repeated them, all these rulings from your own mouth. In the way of your decrees lies my joy, a joy beyond all wealth. I mean to meditate on your precepts and to concentrate on your paths. I find my delight in your statutes. I do not forget your word. Open my eyes. I shall concentrate on the marvels of your law. Now your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. As your word unfolds, it gives light and the simple understand. Faithfulness is the essence of your word. Your righteousness holds forever. Universal peace for those who love your law. No stumbling blocks for them. Good morning, everyone. Um, our Old Testament reading is found on page 674 in your pew Bibles. It's Isaiah 45, 18 through 25. Okay. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from, some, from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Gather together and come. Assemble, you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to be, present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. Today's New Testament reading can be found in John 5, verses 39 through 45. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you possess eternal life, that these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father, your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. Well, that's a lot to pull together, so uh, pray for me. Um, 
A studied life of truth and beauty seems like an esoteric and tall order. It's certainly one that most of us will struggle with, if not uh, fail to achieve in one way or another. But I just want to talk about this for a moment as a way of introducing where I'm going with this. My sense, and the people who study this would say, scholars, philosophers would say, truth and beauty are related. Now, I know we're very drawn to beauty. We like things that sparkle. We like things that shine. We like beautiful objects and things of rarity. We like colors. We like, we collect. We are drawn to the material world and in spiritual terms we often think of this as bad. It's only bad if it's distorted. It's only bad if it's dominant. It's only bad if it causes us an imbalance in the way we live and pursue. It's only bad if beauty trumps truth. You, you see what I'm getting at? Let's take the, the famous passage in Timothy on jewelry as we've traditionally understood it. A woman should have her beauty come from within, the passage says, not from the braiding of her hair or the wearing of fine clothes or pearls or whatnot. Isn't that what the text says in essence? And historically we've said, see, the external adornment is problematic. That's where Methodists, Adventists, a bunch of people landed. Okay, fair enough. We all have a journey. This is where we landed. It's an interpretation. But the key words in the passage is where does beauty really come from? It's not the prohibition. It's where does it come from? And the answer is from character, from within. Beauty shines out from who we are, not from the bling that we put on. Beauty shines out from what has transpired within us and what God is doing in us and the type of person we've chosen to become, not from the way in which we can collect or decorate or put on. So you will find that the very uh, worst people in the world sometimes can look the very best. I saw a wonderful uh, picture recently. I think somebody had posted it to Facebook, and it was of a young Asian man in his graduation robes, and he had declared that his pride and joy was his father. And his father was filthy and tattered and a dirt farmer, basically, in a poor part of the world, but had supported his son as he pursued his education. And now this young man was going to be in a different kind of position to lift his family up. If you looked at the externals, one looked respectable, one did not. And yet the beauty that shone from within, from both of them, was very obvious because even though the young man had a graduation robe on, his credit went to his dirty-looking father, who humbly held his head low, having worked and toiled hard labor to make a path 
that was better for his son. Beauty comes from within. We're drawn to the external things, but that farmer might be a more respectable person than someone in a $3,000 Armani suit. That dirt farmer in his poverty might have greater beauty emanating from within than someone wearing a tiara and a $30,000 gown. Beauty is external. I'm not going to lie. I think my mother was right. My mother was not a the- is not a theologian. My mother is not even really a philosopher, but she knows this much and she practices it. She says, son, an old barn needs paint. (laughs) Now, she's not quite an old barn, but uh, we get the picture, mom. She knows what she needs to do in her own mind to pursue beauty for herself, and she knows where beauty really comes from. I think all of us do. So I want to kind of create a safe space here today for those of you who like beauty in the material world. It is not all bad. It really is not. We just need to be careful of where beauty really comes from and the distortions that can come as we pursue an external beauty because the pursuit can quickly become what? Vanity, pride, And these are not sins that are easy to overcome. Arrogance, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought or more highly than another, these are things that we might want to avoid. But truth, the the reason I'm kind of going into this aside or this detail is because I want to come away from the material and the bling and the sort of things we like. I'll just be honest, I saw the brand new, anybody seen the brand new Porsche Cayman, Porsche Cayman. That is a thing of art and beauty, okay? I want it. I will not lie. I want it. Now, whether this is really good for me financially, spiritually, in this midlife place I find my... I don't know. I'm I'm not here to say about that right now. We're not talking about me. Um, But I want it. Okay, so... I have to put all of this into perspective as all of of you do. We have a very complex set of priorities in life and desires and needs, and there's things of beauty in nature and things of beauty that we have made, things that we enjoy, and that's not all bad. Now we go over to the truth side. Truth itself is beauty. Now you say, I'm going to tell you the truth, and sometimes that sounds pretty ominous because we think it means that we're about to hear words of judgment. And sometimes it it might. But truth has a symmetry, a harmony, or even a paradox. You see, light is both particle and wave, right? How can it be both? It's one or it's something else, but it's not. It's both, and encompassed in that is both paradox and mystery. We know what it is, but we don't know why. We know what it is, but we don't know how. We know that it's a duality, but we don't understand why it's a duality and not a singularity. It just is. And so truth is mystery. Truth is duality. Truth is paradox. Truth is symmetry. Truth is grace. 
Truth is all kinds of wonderful things that we can start to get our minds around. I think I mentioned this in the last couple of years, but uh, it was in the news. In England, they identified what they claimed was the most beautiful one in the world, and the criteria for determining that was symmetry. You've seen pictures of people's faces bifurcated and duplicated. That is to say, they draw a line down the middle of the face and they take the left side of the face and replicate it, flip it over to the right side or the right side and replicate it and flip it over to the left. And if you do that with somebody photographically, you'll see two different people. Sometimes they don't even look like twins. They look more like brother and a brother or a sister rather than a twin because our faces, just the half, the hemispheres are so asymmetrical sometimes. The more symmetrical a face is, the more beautiful we perceive it to be. That's perception. But this is true of our message as well. You see, from Ellen White to the current time, from uh, the prophets of the church to the common members of the church, one of the things that's been said about the truth of our message is that it's beautiful. Have you ever heard anybody refer to the message as beautiful? We're not just talking about God saving us and entering our reality and that being a thing of beauty. It is. But we're talking about symmetry. In the beginning, God creates. In the beginning, God recreates. At the end, God recreates. Symmetry. We were destined for eternity at the beginning of time. We're destined for eternity at the end of time. You have fall and you have redemption. You have face-to-face -face communion with God disrupted in sin and God with us, Emmanuel, Christ among us. And then you have spirit with us until that time in which all things are made new. And once again, face-to-face -face communion with God. Symmetry, beauty, truth. It flows together. Something else about truth that's beautiful, and that is, I would, I would come back to that term we've been using over the last uh, couple, couple, well, month and a half, and that is that truth speaks to us in terms of pathos. Let me reframe that. That's a very weird sentence. Pathos is one of the three rhetorical proofs in classical thinking. And it's an appeal to the heart. It's an appeal to emotion, but not in a weird kind of emotional roller coaster kind of way. It's an appeal to the heart of the emotion because it was understood that the heart was the very core of, of everything. And that if you knew something in your heart, it had a kind of truth that could be known no other way. Does that make sense? So when we speak of truth in relationship to pathos, we're speaking of truth that hits the heart. And we find those truths to be beautiful. They speak to us. Some of you have said to me, Sir, your sermons are okay, but I really got blessed from some music I heard the other day. I'm not offended by that. There are people 
who hear truth in the beauty of music. It's the way they're wired. God is still speaking. God is still speaking. A studied life of truth and beauty recognizes one key essential fact. And I want to bring it to your attention. That is that God is the very basis of your being and all reality. That's the one essential fact. So the essential truth upon which all other truths are based and upon which all beauty is based is that God is the ground of all being. Some of you are looking at me kind of like, Do I need to say that a different way? As creator, God is primary. As creator, God comes from before. He is not derived. As creator, everything that exists, exists because he's ordered it so. He's made it so. Is that clear? That's the truth upon which all truth is based, and it's beautiful. That ground of our being invites us into relationship. He says, seek me. Know me. I am truth. Jesus says, I am the way. I am truth, and I am life. If you would know the ground of being, you would know me. I and the ground of being are one. Pretty powerful stuff, right? Or do I need to say it the way the scripture says, I and my Father are one? The Father being the ground of being. All right, so I've given you kind of this philosophical piece. We've talked about external beauty. We've talked about the sources of internal beauty. We've talked about the relationship between truth and beauty. We've talked about truth as pertains to uh, fact, truth as pertains to heart, truth as pertains to something that we, we learn or know that stands as a mystery or that we approach as a mystery or stands as a paradox. All of these things, and there's more, but we don't have the time or the equipment today to deal with all that. Our scripture readings in their various forms and hymns and readings too help us with some important pieces. Let's start with the responsive reading taken from Psalm 119. In it, the psalmist reflects mostly on law and how to live an upright or righteous life. This is the studied life of truth and beauty. I can just reframe it for you. David says, how beautiful is your law. I meditate upon it day and night, a studied life of truth and beauty. Every part of that passage speaks to the pursuit of making this law, which was understood in context, to be a revelation of the very character of God, a way of getting to understanding God and God-likeness, all of this 
was considered truth and beauty and worth one's life's energy and pursuit. Let's put it in the modern context. We might not meditate as David did on God's law day and night. We have the person of Jesus Christ who has shown us the Father in a way that is not as clear in the Old Testament as we have in the New. But what we have in there is a spiritual direction of purpose that says, I'm going to pursue God-likeness with my mind, with my energies, with my spirit, with my heart, with everything that integrates those things, my soul. I'm going to love God supremely. I am going to put my life into an order based on who God is and has revealed God's self to be to me in Scripture. That's what that says. So let's bring it down to very simple English, very straightforward way. The studied life of truth and beauty, if we take it from Psalm 119, is to recognize God as creator, to recognize God as the sustainer, and out of creation and sustenance to recognize that God is the ground of being. And that his ways, as he's prescribed them, are the way to happiness. They are the way to truth and righteousness and ultimately the path to the living God or in harmony with the living God at the very least. So we would want to say that the Psalm 119 is a, a picture of a studied life of truth and beauty. Let's move on from there to the text that were just recently read to us. I want to uh, move to the small text that you have in your bulletin. It's actually found in 2 Timothy 2.15. Second Timothy 2.15. It's written in the inside of your uh, bulletin, and it says in the King James, which is uh, uh, my favorite translation in this case, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This word study in the King James can be translated a variety of ways. In the TNIV, which I'm reading from, and your pew Bible is also a TNIV, it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So I think there's a lot of context here. And in 2 Timothy, Paul is at the end of his writing career, the end of his life. He's actually in prison prison. He knows that he's not getting out. He's making one last attempt through Timothy to contact the church in Ephesus and speak something to them. His concerns are that he's lonely. His concerns are that the church is in trouble, that the persecutions have begun under Nero. And finally, he wants to encourage them that under difficult circumstances, they're going to need to move forward in faith. So his passage here says, work hard, be diligent, Study, put your effort 
into a couple of things. One, the last one, rightly dividing the word of God, the word of truth, and being a workman that is not ashamed, that is to say, doing your best. Someone who has done his or her best. That's a studied life of truth and beauty. That's what that is. If we meditate on God's word day and night, and Deuteronomy tells us to talk to our children about it when we walk here and walk there in the morning and in the evening, if we think about a life of prayer being not only something structured but something spontaneous, not just being something that happens at mealtimes or morning and night, but something that happens as a communion, maybe being something that is special to us or something we take time for in a place of privacy or retreat, when we think about that piece alone, how many things do we need to be mindful of as we consider the studied life of truth and beauty. Well, let's be clear. This hour can't be about guilt and beating ourselves up. But I'll tell you this. Three hours of reality TV one evening is not a studied life of truth and beauty. It may be entertaining. It may be just what you needed after the day you had to kind of get your brain into a nowhere kind of place so that you can go on with life. But it is not a studied life of truth and beauty. Our hours of commuting, listening to the radio, politics, talk radio, whatever, we may learn something about truth, that's good. But you might ask yourself, what habits when I'm commuting, contribute to a studied life of truth and beauty. We may tell ourselves that environment is an important. I appreciate Paul because he knows better. This church has steadily improved itself through the years. It's become a more beautiful place over time. It's a place of truth, yes, but it also needs to be a place of beauty. How can we have an ugly space that we want to declare is God's dwelling? Does this make sense to you? It makes no sense to me. Why we would have an ugly space, a dirty space, and say that's where God lives, but I'm going to live differently at my house. You can think of hundreds of things in your life that may not be representative or may be representative of a studied life of truth and beauty. But if we're going to make the story of Christ our story and we're going to organize our lives around the story of God and humanity as given us in the life of Jesus, then the pursuit of truth and beauty needs to be part of what we are constantly thinking about. How is it that we work in such a way that we can be praised for the work that we do? And if not praised, still sleep at night knowing that we did well, that we did our best, that we served with integrity. How can we rightly divide the Word of God if we never open it? Never study, never interact with anybody about it, never read 
How can we have a life of truth and beauty if we aren't ever engaged with the world God has created, with the culture that we have and the best of that culture? I'm very convinced spiritually God is not against culture. He has correctives that He has to offer every culture, yours, mine, every culture. There are things that are problematic and sinful embedded in every culture. But God is not against culture. Indeed, culture is a source of connectivity. It's a source of its own truth, and it's a source of beauty. These things are worth knowing. Why do we want to educate the whole person in our schools? Why do we want to educate the mind? Why do we want to educate the body? Why do we want to educate the heart? We want to educate the whole person because truth is truth. There is no God's truth and some other kind of truth. There's no mathematical truth. That's, this is mathematics and then there's God's truth. God's truth encompasses the truth of mathematics. God's truth encompasses the truth. It's bigger. It's greater. We, we have so much to explore in our universe, so much to explore in our world. Truth and beauty. We don't need to be afraid of knowledge. True knowledge in all of its forms is connected back to the truth of God who is the source of truth. This is why Seventh-day Adventists embrace education. This is why my theme this month is back to school. What are you going to do? You know, if you're 70, can you still learn something? I don't know, I'm not 70 yet. You 70-year-olds, tell me, can you learn something still, or are you done learning? Is it possible to learn something new if you're 70? No? Yes? Okay, I think the seven-year-olds are having a hard time finding their voice because when they went to church as children, they were told to be quiet in the sanctuary. Eighty-year-olds, can you learn something? I think you probably can. The younger ones, if the older ones can do it, the younger ones can do it. Every day can be a day to learn. Every day can be a day to do your best. Every day can be a day to divide the Word of God. Every day can be a day to grow. Every day can be an opportunity to participate in truth and beauty. Every day can be a day to engage an attitude of engagement with God and the world and appreciation. I'm going to say a word about this. It's not part of the sermon, but I'm going to say a word quickly about this. Appreciation is a tool to help you get at truth and beauty. Did you know that? A spirit of gratitude, a spirit of appreciation, is closely connected to a spirit of inquiry. And a spirit of appreciation and inquiry are the two, well, there may be more, but at least two of the essential ingredients in what we would call having an open mind, being open to life in the world. Appreciation and inquiry. If you have appreciation and inquiry, life becomes 20,000 times more interesting and meaningful. 
maybe more. I, I don't know. I don't really have statistical data on that. That was hyperbole for those of you who are scientific and thought, how does he know it's really 20,000 times? I'm not sure that's true. How does that relate to truth and beauty? You see how our minds work? I'm the poet, not the mathematician, so there you go. Appreciation and inquiry. What would happen in your life if you were going to pattern it after the life of Christ, the story of Jesus, if every day you expressed gratitude for something and asked a question about something? Would your universe expand a little bit? It would. Now I'm preaching to myself in all of this. I have, my wife and I have put ourselves on a program, and I'm not suggesting that you do the same, although you're welcome to do it too. We are going to give ourselves a three-month sabbatical from TV. Well, that's, a, that's a sacrifice less for me than for some because I know NFL season started this week. Uh, you may not want to completely give up TV for the next little bit here with NFL season going, but you might get an NFL pass and block everything else on your... I, I don't know, I'm just thinking out loud. I'm taking a sabbatical from TV because I've had plenty of TV in my life. Learning to watch more TV is not difficult for me to do. In fact, I'm really good at watching TV. I'm good at eating while I watch TV, and I'm good at slouching while I watch TV. I'm not very good at accomplishing much of anything else when I watch TV, although I'm told that sometimes I have my mouth open when I watch TV. That blank stare. So I'm taking a break from TV because... For me, that is no longer the life of truth and beauty. I'll come back to it. There are worthwhile things on it. I have learned many things that are worthwhile from particular programs on TV. It's an educational tool among many other. And there's a certain kind of razzle-mcdazzle beauty to it, too, that's fun from time to time. I'm not trying to villainize this for you. I'm trying to say in my life, here's a place where I think, no, I could spend more time in truth and beauty and less time on TV. Where else am I going to find it? Just a thought. Where are you going to find it? We're running out of time, but Isaiah sheds some interesting light on truth and beauty as well. Because in 45, 18 to 25, as we heard it, we start out with, this is what the Lord says, and here's his credential. He who created the heavens is God. He who fashioned the earth and made it and formed it to be inhabited says, I am the Lord. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Oh, and then he adds, and there is no other. In case you weren't clear on that. Then he says, I'm not only the creator, but I'm the one who reveals myself to you. What I've done, I've not done in secret. It's available and obvious for you all to, to see. I haven't even spoken in secret from some land of darkness. And I haven't invited anybody to pursue me in vain. I tell the truth, and I declare what's right. And then Jesus, God says, gather yourselves together. 
Assemble yourselves, you fugitive from the nations. Don't be ignorant like those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that can't save. Declare what it is to be, present it, let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago and declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is none apart from me. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God, and once again, there is no other. By myself, I swear. My mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that can't be revoked or will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear. They will say of me and the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. Let us make our boast in him. A life of truth and beauty. When we pursue God, we pursue truth and we pursue beauty. He has not invited us to seek him in vain. He has not lied to us or misled us. He has not told us a falsehood. He's not hidden himself from us and said that he would not be a part or speak. He's revealed himself to us and he's invited us to seek him and to find him, to make our dwelling in him and to rest. John 5, very quickly, says something wonderful as well, starting in 39. You study the scriptures diligently, there's that word, because you think that in them you possess eternal life. But the words of the scriptures per se aren't life, they are words that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me and have life. I don't accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you don't have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name, but you haven't accepted me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the one and only God, truth and beauty? But I do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your home hopes are set. See, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For Moses wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? These inflammatory words, these direct words, these accusing words, Come to us. Do we believe? Where's our source of truth and beauty? Do we rest on words that point to something we refuse to accept? Or do we relate to the one who came, sent to the Father, full of grace and truth? Where is truth and beauty? I know this. If we're going to take this 
seriously. It's time to go back to school. It's time for adult ed. It's time for us to pursue in every aspect of our lives truth, the beauteous, glorious, wonderful message of hope, relationship, connectedness, salvation that has come, to study, to show ourselves approved. It's time to do our best. It's time to be the kind of witness that has that authentic experience of connectedness with the source of everything. It's time to inherit the power that comes from that. It's time to live a studied life of truth and beauty. O oh Lord our God, you are truth and you are beautiful.
beautiful and we would make our lives about you. Amen.